Mark My Words shares Mark Homer's contrarian views on investing, business, finance, economics, and all things money. Mark interviews the world's most successful business, finance, and money experts, as well as imparting his knowledge in a factual, direct, and no-nonsense manner. Welcome to Mark My Words, and here is your host, Mark Homer. Thank you to everyone who's turned up. I'm blown away and very grateful. Uh, we're, all we're going to do for you is just take any of your questions. So does anyone want to start with any questions about anything? Property, business, personal development? I just wanted to ask you guys, you've been really successful, and uh, what's the uh, secret recipe for your success? So most of my sort of property career has been around just testing and measuring. So it's, it's pretty sort of mundane, you know, stuff you do every day. But you know, we have a new strategy or something that someone else is doing. I usually try it in a small way for a little bit and then I just keep on going. So it's sort of slow and silly wins the race. Um, it's, you know, the sort of magic pill and the thing that makes you all the money and all that. I think it's all bollocks. I think the, 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 it's actually a load of tiny little baby steps that you keep on doing over and over again and, 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 and just don't give up. And it, it, when you try and make the money too quickly, often you end up losing it. So I think slow and silly is good. We've seen a lot of people come and go in the last 11 years. All right, mate, you'll get your question. <laughs> it's not like you're never asking, is it? <laughs> go on then. Interrupt me. Like, nice, nice Monaco. Oh, thank you, Mr. Binder from Birmingham. Hi. Um, <coughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Rob, Mark, you, you're experienced property investors and business owners. Uh, if I gave you £100,000 for a year, what would you do? You know, was that fun? Was that fun? And what would the investor get back? Car, Ferrari, gone. <laughs> <laughs> Watch, gone. Yeah, you go first on that one, mate. <laughs> um, well, I, I, no, I normally have a third, a third, a third rule for money. One third save, keep it as a contingency, you know, irregular shocks. One third invest in myself, my education, my knowledge, my network. So that's my general rule. Let me finish, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me finish. Still got an hour. Still got an hour. Yeah. Um, obviously, the more money you go up, the kind of the third or third rule goes down because if you've got a million quid, you don't need to put a third of that into your education unless you're investing in progressive courses, in which case you should. Um, so I think we've got a kryptonite package which costs about that. So yeah. Um, but yeah, you, you know, like a lot of people, they're like, I've got X amount of money, one grand, 10 grand, 100 grand. You've got to keep some money aside for irregular shocks. Um, because the, when you don't have money aside for regular, irregular shocks, that's when they happen. And it stops you making volatile decisions. You will make bad emotional decisions if you have no savings and nothing behind you because you'll get susceptible to get rich quick and other things because you're desperate. So you have to get rid of that desperation by having some protection. And protection is low risk. Therefore, low return investments, not high risk, high return. So it's important to have some low risk classes as well, such as fill your ISA every year, you know, sort of well managed funds, etc. Um, but you know, you know, in property, many of us do here. We're always going to run out of deposits. You never have enough money, to, especially in London. You know, you might have, you might save your whole life and have a deposit for you know a really small house somewhere. So really, you need to learn how to do joint ventures, how to you know, do no money down deals, such as rent to rent, or the kind of stuff that many of you know well, having learned with us. 
Um, yeah, because really the, the least amount of money, the least important third of that money in property investing is the money into the class. Because with 100 grand, let's say, a th let's say 40 of it's going to go into a property where you might get one or two deposits for one or two houses in Birmingham and then you're, then you're done. So it's your knowledge, your education um, that I think is really important. I do what I do all day. So uh, I, I, I would start with the other areas. So you do all your ISA and stuff like that. But I'd probably take the 100 grand, I would borrow against it and I'd buy a commercial building and I would put that into some form of residential. So it would go into apartments or into some sort of cluster flat um, or maybe serviced accommodation. I'd increase the yield. I'd be looking for yields north of 15%, probably 20%, something like that. I'd get a commercial lender in, I'd spank all the money straight back out again, and then I'd just keep on doing it and just keep building a portfolio and just keep building this wall of income every month. And it probably won't be any different until I die. That's how, that's, that's what I'd tell anyone to do with the money. And it, it, obviously it's easy to say that, but it takes a few years to work out all the little steps you need to do to be able to do that and the, the ways in which you shift and change and you know when the market changes or finance changes or whatever. But um, yeah, I right from the start, how do I get a deal? How do I get the most income out of it? How do I get the highest yield? Therefore, how can I get pretty much all of the money back and then how can I just keep on going forever? And I'd have my half of that. <laughs> <laughs> Hi Robert, Mark, my name is Nikki. Hi Nikki. Mark. Hi Nikki. Hi everyone. Mark, I watched your video on Facebook, and thank you for that. Wh which video is that? The only one you did this year. Interest rate. Well, it obviously know, meant something, Rob. Yeah. Mark, you're always so calm. <laughs> Nothing is a problem. But uh, I'm sure that <coughs> interest rates is just going one way right now, and it's going up. And we all used to stress test with like six percent, and I can see that going up as well. And one of the things I do, I source properties, and I'm already picking up repossessed. Um, bank repossessed properties and I think the situation is going to get worse. Now I want you to be honest with us, Mark. What do you think is going to happen to the property market when the interest rates going up? Yeah, come on, Mark, don't lie. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody who tells you what's going to happen, I know this is a slightly different answer, but everyone who tells you what's going to happen to interest rates is either wrong or either they know they're wrong or they're lying because 95% of the time they're wrong. Okay, so that's the precursor. I will sort of go into it a bit more. Um, the governor of the Bank of England thinks, and he should know more than everybody else, but is he sometimes wrong? He's been wrong a lot, uh, you know, with all his forward guidance. He thinks that interest rates are probably going to about 1% in the next three years. Uh, and that's what the yield curve suggests as well. So the market thinks that sort of level as well. So that's not major, is it? You know, another sort of half a percent increase over the next three years. Could it be another 3%? Yes. Is it likely? No. And I don't think it, I think it probably won't go up that much. Are they going to go up? Well, I have been saying for 10 years that they're going to go up shortly. You were right. You were right. Well, they didn't go up shortly, did they? Well done, mate. You were right. Boom. Yeah, it's taken 10 years. So whenever, they, whenever people think there's going to be a rise or have thoughts over the last 10 years, they'll kick the can down the road. Uh, and whether it's been, you know, Greece or Brexit or, you know, issues with the banks, there's always some sort of shock that just kicks that can down the road. It will happen, I'm sure. Uh, is a quarter point rise going to create loads of repossessions? No. 
Um, have the I haven't looked at how many repossessions there have been in the last sort of six months year, but I don't think it's really on you know rising massively. Unemployment is the lowest it's been for 40 years, um, and the economy is still growing, if, even though it's not growing as much as maybe the rest of the G8. So, uh, yeah, I, who knows what will happen in five years, but I suspect in the next couple of years, I don't know, property prices might just sort of bounce along. There's some negativity started in the last couple of weeks. I don't know if you've seen some of the newspaper articles about Ricks have been saying that prices are slowing down and all that sort of stuff. That happened uh, last year when the Brexit vote happened as well. So, but then you probably noticed in the six months at the beginning of the year, it all shut up again. They did where we are. So I would use it as an opportunity to try and buy some of those repossession sort of units. Um, interest rates could be 5% again in 10 years' time, and there could be a lot more repossessions. I just don't think it's round the corner. But of course, we'll, it'll all fall off a cliff again. There'll be loads of repossessions, and there'll be a load of sort of people going bust, guaranteed. But I suspect it's a few years away yet. Right. Hi, everyone. <coughs> Sam. Hi, Sam. Hi. Um, you guys obviously have a lot of mentees. What do you think <coughs> the traits are the most successful ones? Do you want to start? Yeah. Short question's a happy question. So, the most successful mentees that I have, A, listen, B, take action, and C, don't get diverted by other things that sort of shine and uh, look sexy and look like they're going to make sort of loads of money out of, but invariably don't. Because, of course, you, you sort of get what you give, don't you? How much they, they apply themselves to a strategy and go down a road and go really deep and become better than everybody else at that thing, that means you end up better than your sort of competition. You end up making money. So I think it's the ones that focus the most that do the best. I think a lot of people um, often don't believe in themselves enough. And when you give them strategies, advice and guidance, they'll often say, say well, okay, that's all right for you, or I'm not there yet, etc." So what we've tried to do at Progressive over the years is build enough trainings in so we can have more of a system and a process to follow. You want to raise finances, do I be your own bank CDs, you need mentoring and support, do this, you need this strategy, do that course, this strategy, do that course. So we tried to in give people the right education, therefore instilling the belief in the, themselves that they can do it. You know, every single challenge I've had seen a mentor, mentee come to me with, Mark or I have experienced having gone down that road before. So I'd, Mark's already said the three things I'd definitely say to add to that is when you have difficulties and challenges, you have to stay calm and you have to keep going. And the thing is, there's lots of people out there that are running, bouncing like a pinball from challenge to challenge to challenge to challenge. Started this, oh, I went wrong, that don't fucking work. Started, oh, this, they told me this, that don't fucking work. Done a rent to rent, changed the rules, that don't work. Service accommodation, 90 day rule, that's fucked. And they ding, 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 and then they get back to the beginning again. I've been doing single lets. Um, you know, and, and everything that they did probably would have worked if they were still doing it. Um, because people get knocked down by challenges. So just picking yourself up and starting again. I think that, I won't answer it directly about the interest rate question, but it's linked to these two questions is, extreme emotions and volatile emotions are probably going to erode your wealth and hold your progress back. So I see people getting in and they get really excited 
really, really, really exciting. That's good to get yourself in the door, but at some point you have to calm down because if you're overexcited, you're going to make bad investment decisions. You're going to overpay. You're not going to do your diligence and research. We've all been there. I'm not saying you shouldn't be excited as a person, but you have to make investment and business decisions in as much of a calm, emotional state of balance as you can. And then when you have a challenge and all oh, the world's over and I'm so depressed and why did it happen to me and this was the worst timing and I'm trying to you know, raise 15 kids and whatever else you've got going on and you get yourself too down, then you make bad investment decisions, i.e. you give up. You know, or you, you know. So taking your, when you get that volatile emotion either way, and mine's normally up and Mark's is more down, which I think is why we balance each other quite well. Mark doesn't get that overly excited too much and that's that's a good thing to make investment decisions and, and, and analyze um, so it's balancing those strong emotional forces and being a comeback into balance I just see so many people who are on the 58 thing and all the others work they just haven't made it work um, yeah. It's fair to say that not every strategy works uniformly across the country. There's some things work better in London, or some things work better in North England. Yeah. Are you doing the Q&A then? <laughs> <laughs> it's a tricky question. Yeah, no, 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 no. Um, I, I agree, Matt, it's your event, so I, I agree. But, you know, like at the end of the day, service accommodation, rent to rent, single lets, HMOs, commercial to residential conversions, all the strategies we know, you can make them work. Um, yeah, you've just got to apply yourself. Hello. Um, at some point there will be a crash, so we don't know when, but how do you prepare for it? <coughs> Okay, so generally, uh, in crashes, the, the, um, the, the people that get hardest hit are the big developers. You probably notice it's, it's those that have created a lot of stock, and they need to sell that stock in order to keep their cash flow running. Um, so um, we develop stuff and we sell units, but um, I think if you're going to be doing that, A, you need to be able to rent them out if uh, a crash comes along. Uh, and also, you probably don't want to be doing really, really big, valuable units because you won't be able to rent them out to keep the cash flow going at the right level. Um, and I think you need to balance it with an income strategy. So, you know, if you're a developer, maybe you want to have a lot of rentals in the background or another trading business, yeah? So I think that's a big thing. Uh, clearly, in the late 80s, interest rates uh, were what killed quite a lot of property investors. Um, so. I think the, way to, the best way to protect yourself against high interest rates is very high yielding property. Uh, because interest rates can go up a lot and you're still making cash flow, you're still making profit. Uh, that's usually you know, my, sort of, my strategy to defend against higher interest rates. You can fix you know, mortgages, but you can sort of fix them for so long and then you're back to the same problem. Um, so I, I think buying high yielding units, having a good rental stream, I think that is, you know, because usually during crashes, the rent keeps coming, yeah. Uh, and if you're going to develop to sell, you know, have that as a portion. Make sure that you can take sort of 20, 30% less for them and still, you know, be alive. Uh, and, um, you know, if you need to switch those to a rental model, then make sure that they're at the right, right value. That's, that's the, the, the biggest areas I think you can protect yourself in terms of crashes. But you never, the thing is, every time there's a recession or a crash, it's always a different set of ingredients. So you get a different cake. 
So you never know exactly what's going to happen. There's a different reason for it every time. Um, you know, this last time, well, you know, the banks have done a load of lending and they stopped lending, so that created a credit crunch and created a recession. The previous time was maybe more linked to the exchange rate mechanism and, you know, interest rates went up and a lot of people went bust and that created a recession. So it's always a little bit different. So keeping cash back and not pushing things as far as you could do in the good times to make sure that you, you've got a, a lump of money to allow you to move and make decisions during those periods is got to be a good idea. I think it was Warren Buffett that said, be greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy. So I think wisdom and balance and for you to sustain all markets is being able to see the opposite of what everyone is seeing. So, you know, when, the, when, the, when everything's riding high and everyone's seeing a, you know, a, a bull market, you've got to be preparing for the bear one. And then, of course, when everyone is in doom and gloom mode, you want to be able to pick up assets because that's the best time to pick up assets. I remember a mentor of Mark and I who sat on our board for about a year. We were probably, this was probably 2012, maybe 11. So, you know, we'd just come out of the bad times. It was starting to calm down, but everyone was still a bit bruised. And he said, you want to be stockpiling cash now, waiting for the next one. And that really stuck home with me, those sort of three things I've said. So keeping back lumps of cash, because no one goes bust with cash. You go bust when you haven't got any cash left. So, you know, like everyone's looking for the highest return, but it's not always the smartest play. You need some of your wealth in, you know, low return, low risk, liquid investment vehicles. So that if you need to go shopping because everything is cheap, or if you need to get in and start funding some of your part of your portfolio because it's a little bit underwater or whatever, you've got cash to do that. So you need to be very liquid when there's a recession and that gives you the buying power um, because everyone's selling assets cheap. So, you know, like some of my mentors have been through four recessions and, you know, I've only really as a businessman been through one. So I always try and get their advice because when you've been through four, it's the same thing, isn't it? It's like when everything starts to get good, start planning for when everything gets bad and you're planning 10 and 15 years in advance for that. Uh, you know, and that's wisdom and experience that teaches you that. Um, you know, be careful to not overgear yourself. And it goes back to the emotional volatility again, doesn't it? When times are good, everyone gets too excited and they overgear, you know, and, and, and they, they, they've just got no room for it to drop. Or they overexpose themselves by buying too many units. I know plenty of people who are doing good stuff, but they're over trading. I think they're doing too many deals. You can do too many deals um, because, you know, you, you just put yourself under undue pressure and that's what Mark's really great at you know like Mark's good at saying no let's wait let's not do too many deals um, because you know everything can go pop with just one wrong deal you know developers they, they develop a small block roll into a bigger one a bigger one a bigger one and then poof, they've got everything in the biggest one and they didn't, they didn't put money aside they didn't diversify their portfolio they didn't you know get some money in protected into these low-risk vehicles to then liquidate when they needed it you know, in 2009, it, oh, the properties were just ridiculously cheap. And Mark always said that, you know, if we could have 2009 every year that, for buying, that would be great. Um, you know, and this is not about being advantageous against people. It's just we were buying assets and they were the cheapest ever in that year. So we've experienced that year and we know the equivalent of 2009 might come around in 15 or 17 years from 2009. But you, you've got to be ready. Hi, Jared. Hi, Jared. What advice have you got for training your next generation to become better entrepreneurs than you are yourselves? 
I've got a, a, a really good strategy that a, a friend of mine, uh, his father did with him and something that I will certainly do. It, what he did, he bought a house and this house was pretty dilapidated. But he actually got the son to, to buy in his name. He was just 18, he got a mortgage. But the father, I think he guaranteed the mortgage in some way. Um, and supplied him some of the deposit, and the son had some of the deposit. He bought the house, and then he, he, he sort of you know, did internal refurb. He had to do a lot of the work himself, but the deal was that he could then live in the house and rent all the other rooms out, and by renting the other rooms out, he paid the mortgage. Uh, and so it taught him how to deal with tenants, so it taught him how to select them, because he, he picked absolutely terrible ones initially, uh, and then, of course, after a while, he worked out you know, who was all right and who wasn't. He taught him how to collect the money from them. Uh, and you know, he was totally incentivized to do that because everything that was left over every month after the mortgage, he got to keep. And his dad created him a savings sort of plan program, which was called this house and the mortgage. Um, so you know, he bought that house for, I don't know, 95 grand. By the time we were 20 or 21, it was worth 165. Um, and um, uh, the only thing his dad didn't do, uh, which he should have done, was put a restriction on it that said he couldn't sell it without his dad's signature. So what did he do? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and a whole load of cars and all sorts of stuff followed. Um, and we had lots of fun. But um, uh, yeah, that, that was a really, really good thing up until he sold it. Uh, so, you know, mortgages have changed a bit and you probably need to go to some other sort of lenders and things like that. But I think that's a great way to teach if you want to get children into property and, and sort of developing property and renting it, that's got to be a good first step, really good one. And there's no tax on it either. And they can, well, they can rent a room out up to a certain level, not pay any income tax. Um, and there's no capital gains tax either. Uh, yeah, sort of. <laughs> Hello, hi, my name is Boon, uh, <coughs> design industry. Hi, uh, Hi there. Um, so I think the UK is known for its uh, enterprise and creativity, but not necessarily in bringing them together, whereas both of you represent that, you know, where you bring the creative you know, art world, you know, Thank and you. enterprise. Yeah. Yeah. So do you have any thoughts uh, in terms of how do, you, how do we, uh, in the property industry, encourage innovation you know, by, um, because I guess the real estate world is quite conservative, but at the same time, if we can bring in I guess a broader, I don't know, skill base you know, in the creative world. Would that help with enterprise? Okay. The land registry, and or should I no? Take a step back. The land registry was good. Uh, when you go into a property transaction, it is you know just a house that can become elongated. When it's a series of titles or a relatively complicated property or is unregistered title or maybe there are some sort of you know, ancient covenants on it or you know, maybe there's some sort of dispute or maybe there's radon or there's so many worms that can come out during the conveyancing process that normally doesn't stop the sale or doesn't have to because almost everything is fixable but it slows it down and it drags it out and I find this Increasingly, I mean, we've had a transaction going on for about eight months and it is totally being held up by solicitors just, oh, and another thing, oh, and another thing, oh, and another thing. And so many of you are nodding because this happens all the time. There must be a better way. Um, and, you know, the whole transaction sort of process, yeah, the land registry came along in the 80s and that 
clearly simplified certain things and speeded it up, speed, speeded it up. But I suspect there could be some massive innovation in that process, i.e. getting everything digitized and sort of in an accepted format online so that a, a transaction you know, could happen really quickly. I mean, why is it you can buy and sell shares at the click of a finger, but to transact on a property, it takes at least six weeks in reality? Well, it doesn't have to be that way, does it? If all the work had been done up front, and it was all on a, a digital platform, surely it could happen much quicker. I think there'd be a massive, massive market for that. However, I suspect it, you know, it, it needs legislative change and you know, something in the middle of it, like the land registry, to, to sort of implement that, that um, innovation. You referenced um, the British culture and maybe what we're good at and maybe what we're not so good at, and you would know better coming from overseas so you can see it from the helicopter view. I just don't really think that's so much relevant now because we have an immediate global audience and I think that's exciting too. I mean, I'm a nobody, I'm not a celebrity, I'm not a famous person and I've got 1.15 million subscribers on my podcast and that happened in 20 months. And that's not the power of me, that's the power of the digital world that we're in because 80, 90% of those followers are all organic, i.e. I haven't done marketing to find them. That's so exciting. And um, it's, it's easier than ever to get yourself a global audience. And so therefore, um, you know, this, the, the faster the information moves, the faster that you can make money. And of course, information at the moment is traveling at the speed of light. So quicker and easier to make money right now, I think. Hi, Rob. Hi, Mark. Um, out of all the people that you've met in your time since you started Progressive, or you started before, um, who would you say are the individuals that probably inspired you the most? either famous or otherwise? <clears throat> I think the individuals that have inspired me the most are the ones who have come from a really sort of hard, you know, pretty, pretty tough position and they've worked like hell to really change their position and, and you know, create a, you know, a sustainable property business which makes them a load of money. Uh, and uh, yeah, it, it'd be nice to sort of always see people do it the easy way but they've had to do it the hard way and they've had to go through the nuts and bolts and they've had to sort of really learn it uh, and it's you know those sort of people that I don't know you, you you can't help but not be inspired by them because you kind of think well I've had it so much easier in so many ways than you have and you managed to get to you know where you are or to my level or, or, or whatever so uh, I think whenever we look at those kind of people you you have to say to yourself well it's not that difficult for me in my situation and Probably drives you on. I was most inspired at the start by Mark um, because I'd never met anyone like him with the sort of the business skills and the attention to detail. So that was the first person that you know. Because I guess you're asking for names of people. Mark politically answered that question, didn't he, by not giving you any names. Um, so Mark was the first one. My ex-boss, who I'm not allowed to say his real name, so his name's Chris in Mark's book. He was quite a character, he was quite inspiring. Once he'd had a coffee, he was the coolest guy in the world. You know, he'd take you to watch The Secret instead of working, and he'd take you out in an evening and get you buy all your drinks. But of course, when the next day hangover kicked in, he was um, a bit of an automaton and a bit of a, a militant. I mean, he was the first guy that gave me a chance with no CV, he gave me a job with no, you know, I'd, not, I'd, I'd proven nothing. Um, John DeMartini is one of my mentors in personal development and I'd say that 
out of anyone I've ever met, he's read the most books. He's read 30,000 books, and that really got me up. My books from 50 a year to three or 400 a year, that inspired me. He taught me about balance because most people are extreme in their emotions, either high or overly high or overly low. And he was the guy that really instilled in me that you've got to take a balanced perspective and be able to see the upside and the downside, the downside and the upside. He was very inspiring. I've met Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's the coolest guy, very down to earth. Daley Thompson, he's a really cool guy. I went to interview him for the podcast. He said, hey, why don't we go down for sushi? And I spent three hours eating sushi with him. He was telling me about how he turned down celebrity. I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. And I said, how much did the offer you? And he said, 350 grand. So fucking hell, Mark would have done it for that, you know? I don't know, naked for that. Yeah. <laughs> Careful, you're exciting the ladies, Mark. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Odemars Piguet CEO, Francois Benemias. Odemars Piguet is one of my favourite brands in the world. And he's just such a racy, interesting, not what you'd see, perceive someone who owns a very traditional watch brand. So, you know, I just thought he's a cool guy. Um, everybody in the community every day who gets up, like, I'm really inspired by mums. Because, you know, since I've had kids, I really realise it's so hard to raise children. You know, they're basically, it's their purpose is to do the opposite of what you tell them at the worst fucking time possible. That is their purpose, I've worked it out. You want to leave the house, ain't leaving the house for 45 years. No, daddy. Um, yeah, my son got me in trouble recently. Actually, when he was about three, he was sitting in the back of the car and Gemma got in the car and he was just on the iPad and he looked up and went, motherfucker! And um, then carried on looking at his iPad. Um, I think he got that out of a heavy metal song I'd played in the car. Of course, yeah. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah, so I'm really inspired by any mum who tries to balance being a mum with doing property and, you know, running her own business because that is, you know, that is a hard thing and I really admire that. So I could name drop loads more celebrities if you want. Um, I'm going to meet John Barnes on Saturday and interviewing him for my podcast. And I know many of you, that wouldn't be so cool, but for a Liverpool fan, he's like my biggest hero. Um, and, and you know what, most of these people I've met, they're really quite nice people. Gerald Ratner, like the most misunderstood guy on the planet. You think he's awesome, don't you? He's just Very such good. a nice, cool, down-to-earth, humble guy. And I just want to keep giving him speaking gigs and giving him work until he, until he dies because he's just such a nice person. I could go, you know, like, but, but the thing is, I'm inspired by everyone because there's everyone, something to learn from everyone, everyone in this community. You know, you know way more about planning than I do, David, and obviously we've spent time together in Cayman, and so, you know, you would be my go-to guy in that regard, for example. So um, I learned that don't over-pedestalise or under-pedestalise people just be inspired by them, what they're great at. I love watching autobiographical documentaries on Netflix every evening. I watched the Frank Williams one recently. That was absolutely brilliant. What an inspiring guy. And by the way, more inspiring his wife and what she had to put up with and standing by him. I'm easily inspired. I went to see Metallica a couple of weeks ago. I felt 10 foot tall after that. I wanted to go and be a better person just from 36 years they've been putting out heavy metal and he's still got a great voice and they still, you know, give it. That's inspiring. Anyway, I'll shut up now. <laughs> okay, we're getting a bit short on time, so if you've got a great question, throw your hand up. Yes, sir. Hi, guys. My name's Ali. Um, I've just got a quick question. I'm just so, waving, mate. Hello. Oh, <laughs> um, the question is, if you had a portfolio of 5 million and you wanted to take it up to 10 million in the shortest period of time, 
but obviously at the safest calculator risk, how would you do that? Give it to Mark. <laughs> okay, so <clears throat> that's quite a sort of generic question. Obviously, it depends how much equity is in there. It depends what you've done up until that point. Um, so, you know, if you've sort of built, uh, you know, built the portfolio doing single lets, and or you've, you know, done a load of HMOs, or you've done service accommodation, you're probably going to be, you know, moving along with that strategy, but trying to increase, you know, the speed of it. Clearly the fastest way, it, depending on how leveraged it is, is to pull money out and to use that money to go and buy more that need work doing to them, adding value and then sort of re refer, you know, adding value through refurb or conversion or, or building. And then once you've done that, re-leverage it to get the money back uh, and then keep on going. And um, that's probably the quickest way, but obviously, it very much depends on what your experience has been up until that point. If you're suddenly being given five million pounds worth of property, it's going to take you, it could take you another five years, couldn't it, to get to 10 million, especially if they're, you know, leveraged up. Whereas if you've got, I don't know, 30, 40% leverage at the moment, you want to take it to 60 or 70, you've got the experience to do it. You can do that very, very quickly. Um, so it depends where you are and what, what you're doing. Um, I'd certainly be going more for the high yielding stuff. Um, so maybe the cluster flats or the HMOs and the service accommodation. Obviously there's a lot of tax changes coming along like section 24. So you're probably going to be straight into a limited company and you're also maybe with your apartments, maybe you're going to be doing them on a nightly basis anyway to sidestep that sort of stuff. Um, I think a very big part of that will be a strong relationship with two or three commercial funders. Um, we used to use buy-select mortgages. In the credit crunch, we were forced down the commercial lending route. Um, from like 2009, 2010, I built a couple of key relationships up with commercial lenders, and it's just got easier and easier over the years to do deals with them. Um, their rates have obviously dropped, and whenever there's a problem or want to do something, you know, they relax the rules because we've been with them such a long time now. Um, so if you're trying to scale like that and do you know, create a good-sized portfolio, those relationships are very, very important. Uh, we started with single-lets, went to multi-lets, went to small commercial properties, to small conversions, to bigger conversions, and that was our journey. Uh, and so, you know, we probably went from 5 million to 10 million, going from smaller units to bigger units. That was the journey we did, so we'd probably do that again. So there may be an example where you could start edging into bigger units. Um, turning a £5 million portfolio into £10 million portfolio is just buy one £5 million unit. And so Mark's point of it depends on the situation comes to the fore. Also, the two key things that have made us the best value and growth and that kind of thing is changing the use or adding the value. So Mark and I know Andreas Paniotu quite well. Many of you may know him and he's a billionaire. He's another cool, inspiring guy. Came over here, couldn't speak the language, basically was a sort of a semi-pro boxer you know, when he was in his late teens and um, before the age of 50, you know, he became a billionaire. That's pretty cool. And he said when we went to see him last, it was when, you know, everyone didn't really have much confidence. And he said, look, if you can't get the yield, you have to add the value. Hello, uh, guys, you've come an awful long way uh, since everything started and uh, all credit for that. Where do you see yourselves, uh, both of you, in 10 years time? 
A mentor of mine about six years ago when I was creating a brand new plan for the next year and was going to do all these different things said, why don't you just do the same thing you did last year but 20% better? And I hadn't thought of that. And he had wisdom. So I, in 10 years, I hope we're still buying a load of properties, still trying to buy property in Peterborough because it's getting a bit harder for us now because the bigger units, there's not so many. I'm pretty sure I can answer for Mark, but I will pass the mic in a minute, that he wants to continue to keep buying properties. I like to think that Progressive would have grown um, and would have diversified into other areas of meaningful work. So, you know, hopefully my, by then my foundation would have generated 10 or 50 million that we'll be putting back into, you know, young people in the third world. I plan to write two books a year. I've just, I'm 25 pages away from finishing my 10th. Um, and what, I've been writing seven years, so I want to write two a year, or three every two years, so I'll probably have another 15 books, so you'll have about another nine million emails to buy my books. <laughs> so that'd be pretty cool. Infusionsoft will have many. Yeah, so doing mostly what we're doing, but probably with a few more streams, I hope. Better, bigger, um, we've, we've held back from going into overseas markets, um, mainly because I was really keen on doing it and then I had children, I didn't want to be away from them, and I think that slowed our global, uh, global growth down. Now as my kids get older and don't want me so much, we might go and set up Progressive in Australia, in America, and all those other places. Yeah. I just want to keep on growing our portfolio, um, so you know, every year I'll just find more sort of buildings to buy, to add value to, uh, and just increase that sort of rental stream. Uh, we'll probably uh, grow some other areas of our business as well. We have a, a letting agency, so I had a, was having a meeting today about new markets that we're going to go into with that. Um, I, I, I think we've, I, we've got some, something in the region of 700 tenants that are managed out of there now. Um, so we'd like to, you know, really sort of push that forward into other towns as well. Um, clearly our training business, um, I think we've got what, 60, 70 staff in there at the moment. Rob wants to keep on uh, expanding that, um, which... Um, you want me to keep expanding that? <laughs> yeah. So, um, <coughs> clearly the 20, 25% um, sort of target remains there. We just, just keep on going. People say to us, oh, when are you going to sell or, you know, are you going to sort of, um, you know, exit this or IPO it and all this sort of thing. And you're kind of like, well, what do you get? You, you sort of sell and you pay a load of tax. Well, all right, maybe you get entrepreneur's relief, but what are you going to do then? And where are you going to, you've only got to reinvest the money and sort of create another income stream. So I don't know if it's some crazy capital value, then yes. You know, we thought we're never going to get that for a long time. Maybe we would, but um, pretty unlikely. I think you, you, you know, we're probably, just as soon as we sort of finish growing something, get someone in, get another business partner, they sort of take that bit over. We keep a hand in it and then sort of start something new or just keep on growing what we're growing. If we sell Progressive, all I'd want to do um, is build another Progressive, but the buyer of the business would probably restrict me from doing that. Can you imagine the contract negotiations? You're not allowed to do this for X number of years, Rob. Oh, no, I want to do it. So can you imagine the words? It'd be like three years of me sitting there arguing about four words in this contract. <laughs> we've, had a, we've had a couple of these little um, sort of approaches, and you can imagine it always in the end boils down to control's going to go somewhere else, and it's just it's not going to work, is it, Rob? No. no. So. The point I was going to make 
um, is that I love what I'm doing. So even if I sold what we've got for 50 and 100 million and Mark and I halved it and we paid our tax, I'd want to go and do the same thing again. But the, the, you know, the buyer of the business is not going to want me to do that. So I'm either going to get them on a technicality so I can do speaker training businesses or another type of business and then, and then set up progressing property two years later, which half our trainers seem to want to do. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I love what I'm doing. I just want to keep doing it. I mean, since we started, we have unlimited success. We have speaker training courses, we have e-commerce courses. Um, you know, we have quite a lot of different courses and there's always going to be a problem that you're going to have, you know, that, that you want to get more customers, you want, to, you, know, you want to grow your business, you want to buy smaller businesses and bring them into your portfolio of businesses. And as I watch and I see the demand, just go to mark this demand for this and then we'll just try and find a partner. Yeah. I'd like to buy more businesses. So over the last 10 years, I think we bought two businesses, which is a little bit less than we wanted, but both of them were pretty much bust in liquidation and then we sort of took the took the assets off the liquidator and then plugged them into our business and that's been a good thing um, I'd like to get more into that probably buy good businesses rather than because I'm always looking for the fag butts um, and uh, it's just a story of my life <laughs> um, I'd probably like to buy some stuff that it, you know actually isn't just a load of shit and have to make it right um, sort of add value in another way so that would be fun yeah so if you've got any fag butt businesses, then I've never heard that term before, but... Hi, Nicole. Hello there. Hi. Um, now, I've listened to the podcasts, Rob, um, of yours. Um, but I just wondered whether um, we would have more of Mark's podcasts, because his... <laughs> Was that actually a question, by the way? I think she said, can Mark talk more? And me talk and less. This yeah. Well, I'm going to jump in here, actually, because I, um, I, I think you'll find the reason Mark does a podcast is because I told him to. Um, and That's true. Can you just make it official? That, that is true. <laughs> and when I don't do a podcast, I get reminded about how few I'm doing. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. so I am trying for you. I, I mean, you know, I, I dragged him along here tonight as well for you to take the piss out of me. <laughs> I mean, look, I think the world needs more of Mark. I even said to him on the way down in the Uber, do you know how to do a live feed? And he sort of went blah, 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 which meant no. Uh, and I said, well, I'll show you. And he sort of went blah, 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 which meant no, you won't. <laughs> Wanted to do a live feed with him in the Uber. This is Mark Homer, the one everyone wants to hear from because they've had enough of me. 1.15 million subscribers. <laughs> Put your pint on smoking. <laughs> I think Mark wanted to say something. Uh, sorry. Are, are live feeds, are they good or are they a bit wanky? Well, what does everyone think? <laughs> Depends who's doing them, Mark. Depends who's doing them. Well, that's true, yeah. I suppose when there's something of value to say, then, then it's time to do a live feed. When it's my dinner, that's sort of... Um, yeah, I don't know. I do, yeah, I will. I'll learn how to do it. Thanks all the Mark. That's pretty good stuff.